Hi, this is Brian Frederick, principal with AWH, and you are listening to Mid-Market Growth, a podcast about growing mid-market companies. Hi, this is Ryan Frederick with AWH, and this is an episode of Mid-Market Growth, a podcast about mid-market growth for mid-market companies and different ways to accomplish that and to sort of look at the uh, lens of how do you grow a mid-market company. John from PATH is here with me, and, and John's a, a client. We, we do some work with PATH. We've partnered on some some stuff. and. John, I appreciate you joining the the conversation today. Pleasure to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So, give some people give people some context about yourself, your sort of role at Path, what you guys do, so people have a little bit of a foundation for the conversation. Certainly, yes. As, as Ryan mentioned, I'm a partner at Path, and we are a data driven growth strategy firm that helps our clients not only understand and meet the expectations of the people they serve, but also exceed. Because we believe that if you can exceed the expectations of those people, you can outperform and differentiate yourself in the market. We help our clients by helping them really get a 360 degree view of their market across customers, employees, the market at large, and competitors to really sort of triangulate where their position is, where those growth opportunities are in the future, and the best path to get there. Because as our name is PATH, it actually is an acronym stands for people are the how. Because we know that whether we're talking about CX, growth, whatever it may be, that people are really at the core of it. And, and that's very central to the CX conversation today. Um, worked across a lot of different industries, supply chain in particular, OEMs, dealer distributors, 3PLs, all sorts of different companies in that space and quite a few others. So happy to be here. So John, it, 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 every company seemingly knows that they should value getting and staying close to customers, their team members, partners, dealers, right? Yet sometimes it still proves to be a challenge. And, and I would say, you know, especially in the mid market, it seems to be a challenge and, and, I don't know if that's because of uh, a lack of resources, a lack of, of attention and intention. What, what's your sort of view on, even though every company leader knows, yes, we should, we should be in touch, communicating consistently with customers, right? Channel partners, team members. Why does it not happen as often as it should, given the fact that everybody knows that it should be happening? Yeah, well, there's there's really been a seismic ship, shift happening over the past, I mean, you could say 10 years, which has really been kicked into hyperdrive uh, during the pandemic. And that really is, is this conversation around experience. I think, to your point, many companies talk about this desire to want to stay close to their customers. But then you got to ask them, you know, who is your customer? You know, I love to use this example around Apple and Walmart, that in, in the market, we have to make a decision. And I think this is the decision companies are struggling with today of who we want to be, of the customers we want to serve. Because no longer can you just go out and say, hey, I want all the customers across my entire market. I want to just get customers and grow. That strategy doesn't work anymore. I'll use Apple, Walmart, and a few other retailers that aren't actually around anymore as some examples here. So Apple is a premium brand. 
And they uh, generate about $6,000 per square foot of retail profits off the chain. Walmart, on the other end of the spectrum, generates about $16, $17 per square foot of retail. I, I, you know, my, my numbers might have been updated since I last looked, but I, I still know that they're generating huge profits. Then you have the companies that live in the middle, where you have Apple as the premium, Walmart as the, the cost-effective, price-driven, and then you have companies that wanted to sort of stay in the middle, sort of be everything to everybody. Those are the Kmart, Kmarts and the Toys R Uses of the world that, that are no longer here. Because the fact of the matter is if you try to be everything to everybody, you get lost in the shuffle. Companies that have staked out a place in the market, I'm going to be the Apple of my market, or I'm going to be the Walmart of my market, who have really chosen a customer, chosen experience that they want to offer, driven toward that, are the ones who are, are doing well, who are outperforming in the market. And I think that's truly the struggle many businesses face today, having not having yet made that decision, because it can be scary. That's not how companies grew for many years. Just go out there, find every customer you can, give them the best uh, experience or product or services that you can offer, and let's grow, grow, grow. That strategy doesn't work because today, there's so many choices in the market. There's so much saturation. That strategy doesn't differentiate you. And so the companies, I think that's where they struggle, is how do you how do you make that decision? How do you decide on the right customer and the right experience for your business that's going to ensure that you can continue to grow and stay differentiated and find new customers and all those things we look to do as businesses? Um, and I, you know, I just think it, it's a tough internal discussion right? When you have different, different priorities and, and different goals, potentially. Yeah, for sure. So what I hear you saying is the right and best sort of customer experience, team experience, channel experience, approach and execution is really a derivative of what's your overall strategy. Correct. Right. Because if you don't have the strategy figured out, does that typically mean and is your experience that you see companies then struggling to implement effective experience programs with their various stakeholders if they haven't first tackled the strategy piece? Yeah, well, because, you know, I'm sure we'll talk a bit more of this, but how do you how do you serve that broad of a market, right, with such a powerful experience that will differentiate you? So, yeah, that's it really comes down to making those decisions up front and being very clear on that, aligning the organization around that. Um, and, and really putting your, your flag in the ground and saying, you know, we're going to own this, we're going to be the best at this, um, is really where it all starts. Can you guys help a mid-market company leader who is um, maybe new or maybe the company is stagnated a little bit or, you know, in a worst case scenario, maybe has regressed a little bit and lost a little bit of market share? Can you guys help a, a mid-market company leader through that strategic process to then get to implementing experience programs and and if so what does that sort of look like for you guys what kinds of of things are you asking of a of a company leader when you're trying to help them sort of align around who is the customer you want to serve how do you want to sort of serve them what's your best what's your best delivery model etc yeah absolutely um that's that's what i love so much about data um, that it's it's so empowering in that fashion that you don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have all the answers. You know, we can let the data guide us, and it's really twofold because you know you don't you want to 
pay homage to who you've been and what's made you successful, right? It's not throwing it all out and starting fresh and figuring out what the future is. There's something that brought you to where, where you were today. And so much of this CX conversation isn't a, isn't a good and bad conversation. I know a lot of good companies out there who aren't all about CX, but who are still doing well. This is for the companies really that want to be great, right? That really want to, to outperform and, and, and win in ways that, that other companies aren't doing that. And so there's, there's an internal discussion that has to happen, right? What's made us great? What's gotten us to where we are today? What are our strengths? And then the second half of that is, you know, what, what, how data can empower us to adapt and to respond to, to the changes in the market, to how our customers are changing. Because the, the underlying fact of all of this is everything is changing at such a pace that you can't just anecdotally keep up with it, right? We can't just rely on the, the 10 people leading the company and then putting together a strategy based on what we've done in the past expecting that to, to get us to where we want to go in the future. Certainly a piece of that is, is that discussion. Uh, the values, the culture, the people that got you where to, are going to be the things that get you there forward. But the strategies, the tactics, are really should really be informed by the data. And, and using that in an objective, non-biased way, and listening to the good as well as the bad um, is, is really some of the, the key components we help our clients work with. Um, and, you know, again, not just looking at your current customers and talking to your current employees, you know, looking at looking to those markets and testing and trying out new things is the other strategy to begin to make, take steps towards that new kind of future state that we're working towards. So alignment, people, culture is, is really one half. And then powerful data and insights to be that guide as, as you take those steps forward are really the two areas we try to engage the most with our clients to lay that foundation. Because most of the, most of the companies we work with, they're, they're excellent operationally. They do a great job financially. You know, they have a lot of these strengths that it's not forget about those. It's how do we bring all these pieces together and align around that key priority, around what your market, your customers, and your employees are telling us is going to be that path forward. Have you experienced where company leadership is less willing to listen and sort of to embrace data and new perspectives in part one, because they have had some degree of success to get to where they are? Or on the other hand, if, if they've begun to sort of lose their way a little bit, it's often when we we have lost our way that we're less willing to sort of listen right to to others and to you know other perspectives on on how to go about you know things and sort of changing course have you experienced that where where leaders you know who are maybe not having the level of success that they would want right now with their companies actually you know become regressive in their vulnerability and their willingness to listen Sure. I mean, it's simple human nature, right? That we like to regress back to the mean, so to speak, right? We change, we go out there, it's uncomfortable, and we always kind of want to revert back to that comfort and those things we know that we're confident in. I think one of the places I see this most commonly is when we talk about sales-driven organizations. Some of the biggest changes, you know, beyond digitization and some of those other things are in that sales experience. And I, I know a lot of sales-driven companies where the solution often is, well, let's hire more salespeople, 
right? We need more salespeople to go out there and knock on more doors. That's what's going to get us there because that's what got them there to the first in the first place, right? Sales yep. was so powerful, and that's that's I think a key area we've seen a lot of that where, where people try to broach out, right? Maybe try a little marketing, right? Try a little bit uh, digital, whatever it may be, and then kind of revert back because there's clear they can they can tie that together very clearly, right? It's you know I hire a salesperson, they generate revenue, you know, and keep keep that going. But what we know, what the data tells us, is that the role of a salesperson in that customer experience is fundamentally changed. That customers, you know, as, as an example, do most of their research before they ever call somebody or before they ever talk to somebody. That decision's 80, 90% already made, and that the salesperson becomes more of a facilitator. And I've seen that, as just an example, be a very hard cultural shift. Right? When you have you know, a thousand salespeople in your organization, how do you shift them to have a marketing mindset as well, right? To be more digitally savvy, to rely on something like a CRM. And, and maybe you lose a, this idea of maybe losing a little bit of control in that process, right? Of having to seed tr control more cross-functionally, right? Whereas before it was very concentrated, you know, you could kind of command and control and very structured. That's not really the CX environment we live in anymore. It's a very responsive, flexible, customized, personalized place, which requires a lot of resources. Right? You can't expect one salesperson to be able to carry that load. Um, and so, you know, that's just one example. I think you could look at operations and, and have similar discussions at HR on the employee side and, and have similar examples. But certainly, you know, it's it, that's why I think. CX is as much a mindset as it is process, system, tactics, resources, you know, all the rest of that, because there's always going to be that desire to revert back to, uh, you know, we did that for a hundred years, right? We work with some hundred year old companies. That's what we got us here. Why would we, why would we change that? That's a really tough question to answer in a way that compels people to want to change their behavior. Um, but the fact of the matter is things have changed. You got to adapt with it. Right. The circumstances don't call for the same playbook, right? But yet, if we've had any modicum of success with a playbook, that's the playbook that we fall back to because we've had success with it. We've not, we're not believers in the, in the new playbook and the new set of plays because we haven't seen the success that we had with the previous playbook, even though we might now not be performing at the level that we used to. And it's hard to it's hard to give up that playbook that's worked to to shift to a new playbook. Yeah, it, it's you know it's risky, it's scary, it's uncomfortable. You know all those all those sort of words, um, and you know that's that's why CX I think becomes so challenging because it really does require you to change in some you know not so small ways. Right? These are these are pretty large shifts in how organizations operate. But the plus side of that is. And we've seen time and time again the organizations that do manage through that, it's never easy, it's not painless, do come out stronger on the other side, do come out more successful, moving in the right direction towards their, their goals. But it takes time and perse perseverance and commitment, and that can be a, a, a struggle, a real struggle for organizations. Yeah, and you're, and you're also typically talking about comprehensive, you know, mindset shifts and and system shifts right and, and you know potentially structural shifts 
right? Because you're talking about, you know, a company that's maybe never sold, you know, online. There is a whole, you know, punch list of things, right, that you have to go through to serve your to serve your customers better and give them a better experience and to and to go and and to transition into the digital space right there there are how do you deal with the fact that you've you you've never packaged up products and actually shipped them to customers right customers have always come into a dealership or some other or you've delivered them to them right and and it opens up a whole can of worms around process and structural and infrastructure stuff that maybe a company has, has never had. And that can be very daunting because it becomes a, not only you have to shift mindset, but then you have to say, holy cow, we have to look like a very different company two years from now than what we look like today. And that's super scary territory. It would be for any of us, right? Yeah. Well, especially, you know, you mentioned some new ways of doing things, you know, online purchasing, Right, the digital experience is a big thing for a lot of our customers who, who wholesale or sell products and services. And I mean, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh my god, I got to be Amazon, right? I have to go out there and, and have this Amazon-like experience, or I just have to seed my experience to a company like Amazon and just start putting my wares up there. And that's not what you want, right? Amazon isn't your experience. That's not the if they wanted that experience, they'd go to Amazon. They're coming to you for something else. And, and there often can be this perception, well, I'm so far behind, right? There's so much work to do, right? Is it even worth it, right? Well, is, there, is there an easy way out, right? Is there a quick, <laughs> right. cool way is, to get is, the, the, Where's the Amazon like button that I just <laughs> did that? And I'm like Amazon, but I don't have to put in the work to actually be Amazon. Exactly. It's why, you know, it's why you see companies kind of jumping at the shiny thing that comes their way, right? This new, new, new uh, tech solution that will solve all your problems, you know, is really a unicorn type thing, right? They're really, that really isn't out there. Um, and that you kind of, again, it comes back to making that choice, right? Of who you want to be, of what you want your experience to be, of where you want to grow. And if, if you want it to be your experience, right, those costs, that effort, right, there's almost no way around it. And the sooner you get started on that path, the better, um, because you know it's not easy, but it's it's worth it if you can if you can get it done. So companies tend to fall in a, a trap too of wanting to represent customers, right? And and they they sort of feel like, well, if we talk to some presumed adequate percentage of customers, th that you know they're okay. And and I'm now not a fan personally of of net promoter score because i think that that it, it it is a small snippet of what your customers actually think because the ones that are going to respond either either positively or super negative right do not typically probably represent the bulk of your customers right so i think nps has also gotten sort of company leaders you know headed down a bad a, a, a bad road but you, you, you can't, and, and I think representation of customers is fundamentally bad because if you, if, you, if you take a small sample of what your customers believe and then you extrapolate that out and you make decisions on, on that, you could be getting either a lot of false positives or a lot of false negatives that lead you to believe you're doing the right thing and then you do it. And then in, in, in retrospect, it's like, well, we did this and it didn't make any difference and customers didn't embrace it or what have you. How can a company 
and leaders value much more customer intimacy versus customer representation that, that can give them a lot of those false positives and false negatives. Well, you're you're going to make me get my soapbox out here because <laughs> this is a pet peeve of mine when it comes to data. As a researcher, it makes me cringe how often I see surveys deployed in a way that's not unreliable, right? That's It's not the type of data that you can be making big strategic decisions on. You know, you can talk about like, MPS is just one iteration of satisfaction that's happened over sort of many years, right? And honestly, at the end of the day, the metric is, is less important than the process. To me, when we talk about customer feedback, there's there's a symbolism there that it's, it's important to the organization. We care. Uh, it's valuable. And beneath that, there's, there's a process, there's a rigor that's required to make those valuable. Um, you know, whether it's designing the survey in a way that resonates with employees, if it's not NPS, what are the metrics that are compelling to an operations person, to a finance person, to an HR person, um, and to your customers? Um, but that's all only just one piece of the feedback that organizations receive. That's often when we're talking with our clients. You know, you receive feedback from your customers every day, all the time, whether through your individuals, phone calls, emails, texts, surveys, whatever it may be. And to your point, creating that comprehensive look is, is what's essential. You know, we call it 360 review of your customer. You know, there's a bunch of different names out there. But, you know, you get, you get at the point, right, is, is how does it represent your customers? It's too easy to sort of fall into an insight that comes up. One thing that, that seems to represent such a large group of your customers, but what we know in today's world is customers are different. They might come to you for the same product or service, but in today's world, expectations are so high. What customers are looking for is so different that you can't approach customers in that fashion, right? There is no one size that's all for customers. And that's why the connection between the data and feedback that you're using and how it empowers your employees to take action is ultimately the key determinant to whether or not that's valuable, right? Because I mean, even surveys, half the problem with those is it lives at the top of the organization, right? It's not diffused down to the people who actually take the action. So it could be, you know, it, it can be a, a written survey. It can be an email that was received. It can be, you know, a, a full-blown voice of the customer process that we do. But how does that tie back to the people who are taking action? How does that empower them to customize, to personalize, to understand nuances between people? And I think that's where it starts to fall apart, right? MPS doesn't mean a thing if, if the person on the front line has no idea what MPS is. Right, or how it was collected, or who was spoken to, and why they were spoken to. Um, so, like I said, you're getting at one of the things that because people think you know, the easy button, right? That easy button we talked about. You know, I can just send out a survey monkey for free to a couple hundred customers, and boom, check the box. I have a voice in the customer program, insights. I'm ready to CX, you know, the heck out of this thing. Um, you know, that's it's an easy it's an easy trap to fall in. Right? because it's easy. Um, so yeah, that data rigor, that underlying process, and then you know, connecting the dots, I think is, 
really key points when you start talking about feedback because there's plenty of feedback. Customers will give you feedback. And to your point, I mean, there's there's plenty of customers who are more than happy to tell you how bad you did, how frustrated they are. They're usually the loudest and one that can drown out some of the other folks. There has to be an intention behind that to get something representative, to speak to different kind of customers in different fashions to really get at what you're, what you're trying to get at. I want to dig a little bit deeper on two things. One is the data piece. How can a company that, that is not very data-driven right now around CX become data-driven? And then how do they make the, that data and the insights therein actionable? And how do they actually empower the people that are interfacing with customers? Because if you if you if you get data driven and you're gathering these insights and you're and you're you're more intimate with customers but if it doesn't get to the people that you're act, that are actually interfacing with the customers it sort of doesn't matter as you sort of reference so how two pieces how do you get more data driven and then how do you make it more actionable yeah so on the data driven side you know it's twofold one organizations have a lot of data today uh, and so what we like to talk about is how do you contextualize that data within your customer experience? So I want to talk about financial because I think that's oft, often the most compelling. So one of the things I hear from a lot of CX professionals, it's hard to get buy-in, it's hard to get budget to fund and take action on some of the key things they know are important to drive CX, right? They might have their surveys, they might have their customer feedback, but I remember you know, talking to a company, um, a bit large company, uh, nationwide serves tens of thousands of customers, and their CFO was speaking to one of our groups about their CX journey that they went on, a whole transformation. It was really impressive. This journey map and all this. And I just asked them, I go, how did you get your leadership team on board to spend what must have been, you know, I guess in the millions of dollars, right, on a project this large in this scope? I go. How did you get their buy-in? And he said, when I told them what the cost of customer churn was to our organization, that's when I got people's attention, right? So it's not always, hey, I need to go out and get customer feedback. Their organizations have a ton of data. Maybe it's, what's the impact of our transactional, what, what are our transactional operational KPIs telling us about our customer experience? Right, on the key touch points that are very important. How do we perform on those given the data we collect or you know, financially speaking? So step one is taking the data you have and beginning to orient it around this customer journey, this customer lifetime value conversation. And then filling the gaps, right? What don't you have? What information don't you have? It could be a survey, right? It could be other metrics you know, that you need to start measuring. It could be just realigning things. So I think that's, that's one of the biggest steps an organization can take is begin to align the data and metrics that you have to your customer's journey and what's most compelling to them to begin to make decisions. And then comes the action piece. And the action piece is much more, is less data and more people discussion. What I mean by that is so much of action really is a organizational development conversation, right? It's a leadership conversation, it's a cultures, it's a values conversation. Because we're talking about motivating people and what, what really motivates people is that emotional connection that they have to something, right? We can explain rationale and logic all day, but really what's gonna move people to, 
to wake up every morning, come in, work hard, blood, sweat, and tears, all that stuff, is that emotional connection they have to something that you're trying to do. And that's when we talk about taking action on, for example, negative customer feedback. That can be super hard to hear. I mean, I've experienced it myself. and I mean, it can be a very intense experience that you want to avoid, right? It's not something people love to do. How do you motivate people to hear that negative feedback and look at that as an opportunity, for example? Uh, and that comes down to, first and foremost, alignment. Like we were talking about making that decision on who we are and then building advocates within your organization to help connect those dots. Too often I see leaders sort of declaring it, right? We are a CX-driven company, and then it's back to business as usual, right? It's, it's the writing on the wall sort of stuff, and then it's back to business. It's when organizations, I have a good friend who's a C, who was a CEO of this company, and safety was a huge priority for them. They were in a business where safety was, was a big deal. And he drove in like 90 or 120 days, drove safety issues down to zero, and which is, was a huge accomplishment. I asked him, how'd you do that? I was like, what was it that you did? He said, every meeting, every discussion I had, I started with safety and ended with safety. It was something I talked about and emphasized day in, day out. I got other people on board with that. They emphasized it and, and people started to move. They started to shift. And so it's much more of a soft skills discussion, right? How do you connect the dots? What's in it for them? How do you align cross-functional stakeholders? You know, all those sort of pieces that, that really get a culture and motivation is, is, is the other side. And you marry those two, right, with contextualized data that aligns to touch points and various things that are very actionable with that motivational compact factor on what's in it for them, how does this help us, how does this help you? That's really where the magic starts to happen because people will figure it out. I mean, fundamentally, people want to do good things, right? They want to treat people well. They want they want to wow customers. That That's all things people want to do. And if you can kind of focus them and set that path for them, they'll run with it. They'll figure it out. They'll provide solutions you haven't even thought of yet. But it requires that kind of reorganizing how you're, how you're thinking and how you're using your, your current resources around that. Much of this sounds like it is a either connection or disconnection between culture and um, the realities of, of action, right? And the disconnect there, because to your point, a lot of companies and a lot of leaders will claim we're about the customer, right? The customer comes first, right? We now have a CX initiative, so we're good. But the people who are actually interfacing with the customers, either in stores, in a call center, at branches, out on service calls, wherever it is, right? Those those people, the frontline people, never got the message, right? Or never adopted it and 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 never internalized it that we're we're customer centric and we're customer first, especially if they do something that empathizes with and benefits the customer, and then they get chastised for it because they took a return they shouldn't have, right? or they gave a customer a credit they shouldn't have or, or what have you. It sounds like a big part of CX and doing it well is connecting those dots between what leadership sort of pontificates about and what actually, what actually happens with customers. There, there's no doubt that that's, I think, as you try to diffuse down an organization, probably the biggest challenge that occurs because 
you know, in some of the organizations we work with, they have sort of branches, right? And they have corporate and then various branches. And in corporate, you know, you get in the room with leadership and we can talk CX and this is important and all that thing. And, and it, they're honest, right? It's not, it's not like they don't care and they're just paying lip service to it. They want it. But then you go down to that branch level and that general manager, that branch manager's key metrics contribution mark. Right, which is important. You got to have that. Right. But you know, it's it's there's there's um, a conflict there between those. Right. That we're saying we're so customer focused, but you know what? What I'm measuring you on at the end of the day is your financial performance to this organization. So I'm saying one thing, but I'm asking you to do something very different, and that's the magic, right? How do you how do you bring those? You don't throw out contribution margin and replace it with MPS or something like that. Right, you you link these CX metrics to those. To your point, you connect the dots. Right, how does moving my CX scores impact my contribution margin? Right, how does pulling these levers over here give me these outcomes over here? And I think that's where it starts to fall apart. Right, where you know you have the best intentions, you say the right things, you make investments, you know, you talk to customers. But then when it comes right down to it, and they're forced to make a decision, to your point, on something that might cost the business a little money, but, but give that customer a better experience, when you're in that moment and you're looking behind you and saying, well, that's the metric that means that, that ownership, leadership is holding me accountable to, you know, where do you th- what decision do you think they're going to make, right? And right. No, 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 discount, no discount for you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I got contribution margin to make this month. Sorry, you know, like that's that runs counterintuitive to being a truly customer centric company. And if you knew that that's the right customer for you, right? That's the customer that we staked our claim in. They're worth that discount, right? Like in the long run, over if you look at it as customer lifetime value, they're worth every penny that you're willing to discount them on that. Um, and that's that shift in mindset from a bit. Short-term, transactional, profit-driven, to more long-term, people-driven, outcome-driven, impact-driven. Um, that can be scary, right? Because you gotta, you might have to wait three months for that customer to come back to get that ROI on on that, and that's just not how we function, right? As, as many businesses function, right? We need to see that impact. If I do this, you do this. It's not always that simple, but. We know it's it's not a it's not a question anymore. We know that that generates returns. Right. Data has shown us that that's the type of stuff that differentiates your business and, and brings more customers in the long run. That's a good segue into, and this is an unfair question. And <laughs> when I get questions like this, I hate it, but I feel obligated to ask it. How much patience and how how long? of a journey should a company leader sort of expect if they're, if they're going to implement a comprehensive CX, you know, um, strategy, right. And all the accoutrement that they have, you know, that they haven't yet had is, is this a, is this a six month thing? Is this a two year thing? Is this, and of course it's ongoing because once you do it, you can't stop doing it, but, what kind of mindset should a company leader have around, I should be willing to invest in this and not expect to get much out of it for X? Well, 
There's varying levels of opportunity for impact. Um, you know, I would say this isn't an emergency room solution, right? Like if the business is struggling, right? Implementing a CX program isn't going to turn your business around. That's that's not going to that's not going to keep it alive. <laughs> no. No, because you still need the, the blocking and tackling. You need to be profitable. You need you need good systems and operate. You know, you need all those sort of things. John, damn it! I was just about to send you a prospective client who is who's on their you know taking their final breaths, but it doesn't sound like that's a good lead for you. <laughs> no, no, we we can still help them <laughs> uh, because where I was going with that is is. It's, it, if you're starting from ground zero, right? If CX is sort of like, hey, I want to, I want to do this, right? We haven't really been that in the past. I mean, yeah, we yeah. care about customers, but I, you know, I, I see the value, and I, as a leader, I want to take us there. I'm a big fan of short-term wins. That you have to find wins to demonstrate the value, and so it is a journey, right? You're not going to start outperforming the market in three months because you did a voice of the customer program, but you can start with things, see and see quick impact on things like retention and things like share of wallet and even potentially referrals. We, there's four customer loyalty behaviors we talk about. Retention, share of wallet, referrals, and feedback. All of which can be impacted in a relatively short time. So for example, with, with the voice of the customer program that we help a lot of our clients with, we see sort of three or four key areas of impact that can happen in relatively real time. The biggest of which are customer issues. So oftentimes with the clients we work, the issues our customers have happen after they leave. I'll use one of them, maybe truck repair. Um, customer come in, you know, it's not a cheap repair. They get it, they get down the road some ways and you know, black smoke starts coming out or whatever it is. Um, they're like, oh man, they didn't, they didn't fix that right. I'm not going back there. I'm going to go down to so-and-so instead and they'll fix it right. But with a voice program, you're proactively reaching out to that customer and saying, hey, how are things doing, right? Did it work? Did we do a good job? And if they say no, you now have that opportunity that you didn't have before to re-engage with that customer and say, hey, hold on, before you go to so-and-so, let us let us let us do it right, right? Let us stand behind our word and our work fix this issue and talk about it, right? Or maybe, you know, whatever, maybe there was some miscommunication, but those are those are short-term wins that you can create that have solid monetary value, right? That's not just touchy-feely, make them feel better. That's retaining a customer that you may have lost right there. And so it's looking for wins, short-term wins like that. So issues, um, we always are big fans of the employee side of this equation. So we, we do something called shout outs, right? That there's also, honestly, most of the time, business, companies are in business because they're good at what they do. And there's a lot of good feedback out there that gets drowned out by sort of the loud negative feedback that sort of takes over everybody's focus. But using that as an engagement tool or test marketing testimonials or whatever it may be when you get great customer feedback, can be a great motivational tool, learning tool, inspirational tool. Um, a few of the other things we talk about, customer requests. Hey, you know, we did a great job for you. Anything else we can help you with, right? A very simple question to a customer who's already engaged, who's already a fan of you, that are all things that can happen within the first couple months of you doing the voice of the customer program. 
that all begins to shift the culture, right? That all begins to connect the dots and demonstrates the value of what you're trying to do so that you can start taking those bigger long-term changes. Well, we keep hearing about our online buying platform. Every customer says they like us, but man, that's driving us nuts. Well, what if we put a six-month process together to change that, right? Then you start to scale up to these sort of bigger bigger impact items, right? That might have a longer time horizon, but are validated through the data, aligned to the impact of your customers. And so that's that sort of maturity we start to see is get some short-term wins, right? Show show the value of what we're trying to do here to the people who, who are ultimately gonna do the work. And then you, can, you have buy-in to start to talk about sort of longer-term pieces, right? Changes and impact that you can create. To uh, an earlier point in the conversation, we talked about the fact that the buyer journey has changed. You know, the buyer is more in control. It's it's true for for our services. It's true for your services as well, right? This is you know we can't exclude ourselves from the you know the impacts of the evolving and shifting you know dynamics. Um, so how can a mid market company leader and company overall who is has been thinking about this for a while, knows they're not as as customer experience driven and focused as they should be, how can they get prepared for and, and get to a threshold of of leveraging somebody like like Path to the best ability? What can they do as a precursor, right, to make themselves a better client for you guys to work with? I think that's a that's a great question, and there's a lot of things that come to mind. Um, I think it's it's having a recognition. One, you know, the clients we work best with are clients who have who who have those values, right? Who who want to be customer centric, who, who believe in the value of those things, and, and they don't have to have all the answers. Right? They don't need to know how to do that and everything, but they know that it's important and it's something they care about, right? So that's one of those things that, you know, we don't have to have all the answers, but we gotta, we gotta care about being customer centric, right? If we're about money, right? If we're just about profits and so forth, CX will fall flat. You might, you might be able to do, have some success with it, but it won't be authentic. And so that's really the first thing. You, it kind of goes back to what I said, you have to decide as an organization who you wanna be. We can't make that decision. Right, you as an organization have to decide that. Um, and then, secondly, you know, I think one of the most powerful things a leader can do is be honest with themselves. Right? Often, when we do surveys, internal surveys, leadership typically has a little bit rosier view of the organization than maybe the reality is. Right? You know, hey, things are great. Right? Why? What are we worried about? Why would we change? Right? When in reality. There's a lot of things under the surface. And so being willing to sort of take that objective look internally, right, at your organization, kind of be able to, you know, be willing to have those conversations in a meaningful fashion would be the two things that I think would set a company up best on this CX journey, right? Because like I said, when it comes back down to it, customers, they'll tell you the good, bad, and the ugly. And it can be really hard to hear those things. And when we talk about that reverting back, it can be painful to hear things that run counter to your view of who you saw your organization, your, your experience, all these sort of things. And that could be that type of situation where, 
well, we just wish we didn't ask the question, right? Like, let's just go back to what we were doing because everything was fine before we asked Pat to come in here and tell, you know ask all these questions to our customers. You know, that can be a really challenging experience because, you know, the fact of the matter is, is when you set out on CX, you are setting an expectation with your customers that you're going to deliver for them. And that's, that to me is always the biggest concern is that we do something, we do all this research, we, we work together, we build alignment, and then nothing changes. That can be hugely demotivating. Uh, internally, it can have impact on your customers and, and what, what they view as you as. So, you know, just having that, that upfront understanding, right, that this is who we are, this is who we want to be, don't necessarily know, we don't have all the answers, but we know that we want to be a customer-centric, customer-focused company, and we know that there's things we have to improve on. Right? If you can come to the table with those two perspectives, I think you can be successful in CX, and, and we, can, we can certainly help. That sounds like a fabulous point to end the conversation because, you know, I always, I always want to end on a high and that feel that feels like it was, that feels like it was a high. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I did have a, a one final thought because I think one of the challenges is everybody, you know, you, you think you need to, to win everything, right? You need to get everybody on board and, and have everybody moving in the right, right direction. I don't think that's necessarily crucial for CX. I love that quote. Never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. In fact, it is the only thing that ever has. So as CX leaders, if CX is something you want to do, you need to just go out there and build a team of people who are passionate about it. And that is the core that will get you there, right? Not everybody is going to jump right on the bandwagon, right? There's going to be a lot of competing priorities. But if you're a CX leader looking to start this, find yourself some advocates, some champions, and just begin that discussion internally. Begin talking about it. Like I said, with that safety example, just start talking about it and, and connecting those dots, and you'll start to see changes in your organization as people start to come on board. So, so if an organization has, say, you know, a hundred branches, and they start down this path, and let's say six months into it, they've got ten branches and ten branch managers that are all about it. So ten percent, right? Yep. And 90% of their branches are still sort of like, mm, I don't know if this is going to stick. I don't know if we're going to care about this a year from now. I'm still getting comped on contribution margin. But if you're, if you're a leader in that company and six months into it, you've got 10% sort of branch manager buy-in that to some degree, what you're saying is, Take that as a win, and then then get to get to eleven percent, and get to twenty percent, right? And and you shouldn't expect that you're going to get to seventy five, eighty percent branch buy in out of the gate. Hundred percent. There's a a great concept called the diffusion of innovation, where they talk about the adoption of of new products, or new technologies. They talk about this inflection point at 13%, that kind of under 13%, you have your early adopters and your leaders and those kind of people who are super excited. Yeah, this is great. I'm all in from the get-go. That's that's not 85% of the organization, right? Everybody else is like, yeah, I don't know about that yet. But they say there's a point at which adoption really takes off and in, 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 in the product life cycle, it's around 13%. But if you can get 13% of a market to adopt a particular product, 
that growth rate of adoption tends to get exponential. And that's my point here is those 10 locations, just wait and watch what happens at those 10 locations. And once you see those 10 locations starting to rise above the rest, trust me when I say all those other 90 locations are going to start to pay attention and going to start to wonder what's happening there. And then it's not on you to go out there and convince every person in your organization that this is what you need to do. They'll see, right? And that's when it will really start to come together. So I love how you put that. It's not about, you don't need to go out and win everybody, right? Go find a core group, demonstrate its value, and, and watch what happens. It'll still take work, but you know, it'll make life a little easier, I'm sure. Yeah, John, great stuff. Thanks for jumping on, and uh, hopefully the conversation's been valuable to some mid-market leaders out there around a customer experience because I think he dropped a lot of, of good insights and good nuggets for people to think about. Thanks for having me. I, I hope so, Ryan. Always a pleasure to chat. And uh, yeah, best of luck to all the companies. Thank you for listening to the Mid-Market Growth Podcast from AWH. This is Ryan Frederick, and we will see you next time.